Uh, Nick, so the liberals seem to have been stuck around, I don't know, about 30%, would you say, of their of popular support, but roughly their core support for weeks now. Uh, they've released this big federal budget promising $10 billion for, uh, for housing. Uh, have we seen any uh, bounce in their numbers? Well, if there has been a bounce, Michael, it's been the bounce of a dead cat. Please, no offense to any cat lovers. Uh -huh. I like cats. Some of my best friends are cats. But, you know, when you check out that trend line, Mm. Uh, and look at uh, the conservative trend line, the liberal trend line. They're basically intertwined right now. And in the latest Nanos tracking that's just been released, there's been no material pickup for the liberals. Sometimes mm. there's a, a budget honeymoon because they're spending lots of goodies. In this case, no budget honeymoon has emerged so far in the tracking. So why, like, what's going on here, Nick? Why, why aren't the Liberals able to kind of uh, appeal outside of their, their core support? Well, maybe it's because they have a budget that looks to appeal to their core support. Not mm -hmm. a lot of new stuff here. Still more stuff on the environment. Still more stuff on reconciliation and supporting Indigenous peoples. Still stuff to help Canadians. No, now there's stuff on housing which uh, has been an issue, was an issue in the last federal election, but nothing really revolutionarily new for the Liberals to broaden their support. It's kind of like the budget is there to feed and consolidate the progressive base that they currently have, but it's not a breakout budget and there's mm. no balance in the numbers. That's for sure right now. Well, in this episode of CTV's Trendline podcast, uh, I want to see how this opens the door to the federal conservatives. Uh, for those New listeners, I'm Michael Stittle. And I'm Nick Nanos. Yeah, and we release new episodes every two weeks. You can also see us on uh, YouTube. So, Nick, uh, we're in the middle of this big fight for the future of the Conservative Party, uh, and, and it's come down to two perceived frontrunners, Pierre Polyev, sort of representing the more uh, right-leaning members. Some would say he's populist, uh, versus Jean Charest, the old guard, the old progressive conservative uh, membership. Uh, so things seem to be getting uh, uh, nastier. It's, 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 you know, the attacks keep coming. Oh, absolutely. The stakes are very high. Basically, this battle is about the heart and soul of the Conservative Party and the Conservative movement in Canada. Will it continue on the current track, uh, exemplified by Pierre Poiliev, or will it potentially lean towards Jean Charest, who is comparatively more progressive, and is looking at appealing to more moderate voters. But it's a hmm. fight, Michael. I'm kind of going to say it's a fight to the death, but it's definitely a fight for the heart and soul of the party and the future direction and what it wants to put on the table for Canadians to consider in the next federal election. Uh, Nick, there is this, this sort of extraordinary showdown on, uh, on power play uh, recently between uh, Jenny Byrne, former Stephen Harper advisor, who's backing Polyev, and Tasha Keridan, uh, she's a principal at Navigator, and, and she almost entered the race herself as, a, as a representing the progressive conservatives, and she's obviously backing uh, Jean Charest. I just want to play some clips from that. No, that's not true. Tasha, you're actually lying. What you're doing right now is lying. I'm lying. Um, wow. That's what your candidate says, too. You guys have been so negative during this campaign. It's really Tasha, unfortunate we've had to take the gloves off at this Tasha, point. You guys, you guys called for, for Pierre to like be disqualified. You are lying right You've now. You've been attacking Squally our candidate from the very beginning. You expect, I guess, I guess the thing is, Jenny, when you start scorched earth, okay, hold on, eventually you're going to get it back. Hold on, hold on. Wow. I, I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it, it sounds like it's getting uh, personal, you know, between the campaigns. Michael, I'm visualizing a cage match. You know what I mean? A cage match. Mm -hmm. Both of these individuals. Kerrigan and uh, also Byrne 
are key players in the conservative party. They're both substantive people, both key strategists, both key thinkers uh, in the in the conservative movement in Canada. And wow, pot shots, cheap mm. shots. Maybe we should, I'd be interested to know what they really think of each other because just think this is what they said on TV with Evan Solomon. Can you imagine what they'd say if the microphones were off? Mm. But it, it speaks to how important this particular battle is for the heart and soul for the Conservative Party. And it looks like for both of these camps, which are the likely front-running camps, Poiliev and Charest, that it's a take-no-prisoners approach uh, when it comes to the battle through this leadership race. But it speaks to things. If that's what we saw on Evan's show on Power Play, you can imagine what's playing out on the ground riding by riding, constituency by constituency, vote to vote, household by household among uh, um, within the conservative tribe. Hmm. Now, I, I, I've seen uh, just on social media images of uh, Polyev's uh, uh, rallies, and I'm seeing some really big crowds out there. Uh, I, I'm not sure if he can convert those into actual, you know, voting conservative members. Uh, but I saw on Twitter recently, he, he was tackling the housing crisis. He had a video and, and he came at it from a uh, I hate to keep say, saying the word populist, but I but I will. It, it, he talked about uh, the big city gatekeepers versus you know keeping out the the working class from getting homes. It, it seems like this is really engaging. Is is there a big movement behind this? Well, there's a significant movement. The fact of the matter is, Michael, that uh, there are a number of Canadians who feel left out, who feel anxious about the future, and Poliev's populist style, I won't say populist, but populist style message, which is very clear, which says that things need to change. And you know, the thing is, is his message, he's setting the foundation from his perspective that if he hopes to win the leadership and challenge the liberals to basically continue that against the liberals to say the system is broken, the liberals are out of touch, and that he's there to, uh, to reconnect and to bring voice to all Canadians. Hmm. And you know, what's interesting is, is that I would say that for a number of Canadians, this is interesting that, you know, just as many Canadians might think that it's interesting as be turned off, but his focus seems to be newness, this new type of movement, talking about things like Bitcoin, you know, whether you like it or not, he's, he's throwing out new ideas to position him himself, at least as having a different vision from the past, conservative vision from the past with some, uh, some new ideas. And this is in contrast to Jean Charest. Jean Charest, uh, conversely, you know, my understanding, he was out in St. John's, Newfoundland uh, recently and talked about previous conservative governments, including the Mulroney government and the Atlantic Accord and Hibernia and all those things. And that resonated very well in Newfoundland and Labrador. So, you know, when we're talking about both of those likely front runners, it looks like they're appealing to different types of voters, one more populist, the other one more traditional conservative and mainstream. Hmm. Uh, so, Nick, you you track through uh, Bloomberg how Canadians feel about the economy, uh, housing, and uh, I'm curious what what the latest numbers on that are and, and how they might favor either candidate. Well, you know, the numbers aren't great. You know, when we ask Canadians uh, every week whether they think that the economy will get stronger or weaker, um, about uh, 49% of Canadians believe that the economy will get weaker in the next six months, while only 22% think that it will get uh, stronger. So by more than a margin of two to one, people are pessimistic. And you know, on the real estate front, although they're pessimistic about where the economy is going, 
one thing that they do recognize is that they expect that the price and value of real estate in their neighborhood to go up about 64, a whopping 64% or almost mm. two out of every three Canadians believe that the value of real estate is going to go up. Roll those two things together. And what do you get? People saying that the economy is going to get weaker, but that the cost of living, the value of real estate, the cost to get into the market is going to get tougher and tougher in the next six months. Mm. Uh, Nick, normally we would uh, switch over to our provincial check-in next, uh, but but I want to stay on the topic of uh, of, of uh, I guess rising uh, uh, anxiety over the economy, over housing, and, and cross over the Atlantic to France, where we've just had a presidential election. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, who you know some usually compare to uh, liberal. Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau, he's in the lead currently as, as returns come in. But uh, Marine Le Pen, uh, pre- frequently seen as a, as a populist figure, uh, she's doing better and better, it looks like. Absolutely. We know when you look at the numbers in the first round of the uh, French presidential election, there is only a four, four percentage point margin between Macron and Le Pen. And you know what? Le Pen came second. She came second before. But the thing is, is that every time She's in a presidential election. It seems like the numbers are, are improving for her. And the interesting thing are the two different strategies from these two front runners who will be going towards the runoff head to head. First of all, Marine Le Pen has been picking up steam because she's been focusing on domestic issues, job, mm-hmm. the inflation, the rising cost of living, all that kind of stuff. While Macron has been focused more on global stuff. He's been focused on what he's been trying to do for war in Ukraine and that conflict and been more global and European focused. So this is perhaps a little bit of a lesson uh, for politicians in Canada. Hmm. Yes, Canadians like French voters are very interested in global affairs, but you should not underestimate domestic issues, jobs, inflation, the economy, the cost of living, all that kind of stuff because there are a significant number of citizens, not just in Canada, but in most major democracies, who are just basically outright worried about being able to pay the bills in the next 30 days. It's interesting, Nick, uh, when, when Macron first came on the scene uh, and, and Trudeau, there, there are you know, the, these ideas that they were the big young champions of, of liberalism and, and these big international uh, agreements, as you said, Macron tried to avert war between uh, uh, Russia invading uh, Ukraine. Um, there are big figures on the world stage, but but it looks like uh, uh, you know economic concerns, inflation is is really bringing back uh, uh, something else. Oh, absolutely. Well, just think in our latest uh, issue tracking that we do. For the last two years, coronavirus has been the top national issue of concern when we ask Canadians, you know, tell us whatever you think you're most worried about. Well, right now at the top of the list, jobs at 11, healthcare at 10, inflation at 10, Hmm. fear of war, 8%, coronavirus, only 7% of Canadians cite coronavirus as the top national issue of concern. And this speaks to what I'll say, a greater focus on, on domestic issues. But to your point, Michael, about comparing Trudeau and Macron, I'm not sure if we can compare them anymore. One of the things why they were compared back in 2015, 2016, 2017 is because they were both young progressive leaders uh, at a time when Nigel Farage, the Brexiteer was Mm -hmm. big in the news in the UK, Donald Trump was on the upswing in the United States and Macron and Trudeau were seen as being opposite to that particular phenomenon. But fast forward 
And what we see is Macron has really solidified his position as one of the key leaders in Europe. And he's been focusing on an economic renewal for France and been doing a reasonably good job. Mm. In, con in contrast, Trudeau has not been as focused on issues of the economy. He's been more focused on social issues like gender equality, reconciliation with indigenous people, fighting discrimination and racism in Canada. And it's perhaps a bit of a case in point in terms of Macron, who, although he's only four points ahead of Le Pen in the runoff, is likely to win a second comfortable mandate as president. And Justin Trudeau, who, although he's statistically tied, but has a great, from a ballot number perspective, but has a greater number of seats in the House of Commons, right now is mired probably still in minority government territory. Well, Nick, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll look at uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford's chances at uh, getting reelected. So, Nick, we've got uh, another election coming up this year, and that one in Ontario, where Ontario Premier Doug Ford hopes to get reelected. Uh, we've also have uh, a sixth wave of COVID-19 and, and Ontario's top doctor, uh, Dr. Karen Moore was saying that this could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks, which means it could last uh, right up to the election. Yeah, Ontarians brace yourself for another pandemic election, right? We've had a pandemic federal election. looks like they're gonna have a pandemic provincial election because TikTok, the beginning of June is, is coming close when the next uh, provincial election will take place. But, you know, right now, what's going to be interesting is that, you know, Ontario, like a number of other jurisdictions in Canada, has loosened restrictions, has loosened mask wearing, has loosened proof of vaccinations in, 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 in most circumstances. But now there's an increasing appetite by some governments, uh, municipal governments especially, to perhaps not reintroduce a lot of the strict measures, but maybe to Turn, the, turn things up a little bit, for example, mask wearing on public transit. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Ford provincial government decides to respond. Do they want to stay the course where they are now, or do they want to perhaps add some restrictions, uh, not as heavy as before, but something, for example, related to mask wearing on buses and public transit? That's the big question. But the other thing is, Michael, did you get your check for 170 bucks? I did. I did. did? Yeah, I did. You did. Yeah, yeah, I got my check for 170 bucks. <laughs> so uh, you know the election's coming. I'm mm -hmm. not even going to say checks in the mail because got the check. Yeah. Uh, but that was uh, one of the promises that Premier Ford had made. He talked about kind of the licensing regime. Was it even necessary? And he's been issuing $170 checks to individuals who happen to have a license plate on their car. I guess everybody's got a license plate on their car, but just uh, another telltale sign, you know, and here's the thing. When you look at things like this, it's very reminiscent of the last provincial election where Doug Ford and the progressive conservatives in Ontario effectively put things in the window to show that they were doing things, incremental things to help the day-to-day -day lives of Ontarians. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, things like, you know, and people made fun of it, buck of beer. Well, you know what? Buck of beer might've been ridiculed by some, but what was more important was that at that time, Doug Ford as the leader of the progressive conservative said, you know what? We need to help people. Now we have $10 a day daycare in Ontario. Yeah. Who would have thought that Ford would come to that agreement? 
with the with the federal government. So he's going to be able to put that in the window. And now with this latest item on the license plate, it's just part of a narrative of a government that wants to portray itself as incrementally helping Ontarians on a day-to-day -day basis pay the bills. That seems to be the, the big theme of this uh, episode, Nick, just, you know, politicians need to keep a focus on votes at home, on the economy, and when they kind of stray outside of that, they might get burned. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, is, Michael, when we look at the stats um, on, uh, on a recent study that we did for Bloomberg News, um, we can see that a significant proportion of, uh, of, of Ontarians say that they've either canceled major purchases or they're having difficulty paying for the basic necessities like food and shelter, or they're, or they're doing both of those. I think about half of Canadians say that they're struggling because of inflation. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're seeing is parties from all stripes, leadership aspirants from uh, different parts of the conservative movement are looking to tune into that and mm -hmm. to connect with that and to show voters that they have a plan to deal with the difficulty that many Canadians are dealing with. Uh, Nick, I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Very well said. Uh, and thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.